0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Matthew Gavidia, editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. com recently launched a resource center, the Center for Health Equity and Access, dedicated to promoting education, advocacy, and best practices for improving health outcomes and reducing health disparities. On this episode of Managed CareCast, we feature several leaders in diversity, equity, and inclusion, advancing health equity in their respective organizations' policy and practice initiatives. Experiencing the impact of health inequities firsthand during his upbringing in the island of Dominica, Dr. Gregory Vidal, director of clinical research at West Cancer Center and Research Institute, kicks off the discussion by speaking on what factors should be considered when managing patients from under-resourced communities, particularly in oncology.
1: Have some basic understanding um, of the fact that this exists. Uh, lots of work, have research has not previously been focused on understanding those disparities, but what we do know is that um, it has led to a certain segment of the population being behind from a health perspective and being more um, more likely to have adverse outcomes. For example, and with the COVID, COVID pandemic, we, we saw where a certain group are, were more um, negatively impacted by COVID and come to the realization that those groups are the group that less likely, uh, more likely underserved, um, low social economy and patients of color. So there is lots and lots of room for improvement. Um, And it's something that we need as a clinic, as a practice, as an institution, as a country, um, need to place some focus. And I have to say, there's been a lot more light placed on this. I have had more pharmaceutical companies, more communities and institutions come to me to ask my opinion, to do projects um, with that understanding. I also want to put in a plug here for clinical research uh, that um, we have to have an understanding of how patients of color, um, different diverse population, uh, what their outcomes are for, for a specific types of drugs. We don't really fully understand that because those patients are not really well represented on trials. Um, and we also so we have to start with trying to get those patients on trial so we understand what they what their reaction, the colorability, their outcomes would be, um, and then move forward from that. But there's a lot, there's a big gap between our understanding and where we need to go. First of all, we have to acknowledge that there's a problem. And I think we're coming to the realization that yes, there is a problem, but more than anything else, you have. As an institution, for example, you need to understand what exactly the problem is at your institution. You need to know your data. Um, we at West, we, we look internally um, many times with quality improvement projects, trying to understand how patients of color do meet our institution compared to others. Um, how, how, what our behavior, to patients of color or the underserved compared to um, other populations. So first you need to have that understanding in order for you to know what to address. Um, From a bigger sort of policy change perspective, um, we again, back to the clinical trial and and I think the FDA and the government are making a push there, um, is that we have to demand that the pharmaceutical companies or whoever is doing those trials, that they, they, their drugs that is going to be used by a particular population need to have the right representation within their trial. If you're developing a diabetes drug, for example, that's going to be heavily utilized by that population, your trial should reflect who's going to use it because you don't really understand. Um, a bigger thing is corporate. Uh, part of the issues where we see disparity is because there's a segment of the population who are either uninsured or underinsured. They take longer to get diagnosed, so therefore they have more advanced disease and uh, diagnosis. Um, they probably get treated in sort of less qualified institutions uh, because the other ones don't take patients who are underinsured, and then there's screening. Um, the making sure that the screening tools and screening is available to all, including this population. That's where with cancer, um, particularly, we can cure a lot of cancers, but it's it, a higher cure rate when you find it early. So if we don't do appropriate screening in that population, um, we, we we don't find it early, we find it late, less likely to have higher cure rate, more likely to have outcomes from it. So um, there's lots uh, of changes that can be that need to be enacted, but more than anything else, we have to acknowledge what the problem is. And we also need to learn about our behaviors in order to be able to know what to correct. Yeah. So a big deal is you you just have to know that every person that you see as a practitioner deserves the same level of care. Um, so once we start there, and so then once you understand that that person, regardless of what they look like, um, deserve that care, then I think things follow behind in terms of the address them. But importantly also is that um, patients and their response to physicians, their response to your recommendation um, even in the clinic also matters. Some patients are untrusting of the medical community as a whole, untrusting of physicians who don't look like them. So we also have to focus on trying to get um, more physicians of color, for example, in the practices, because there will be better understanding and rapport being formulated in order to um, improve the care um, basic screening may be lacking, as I talked about earlier. Um, again, those patients in the under-resourced communities are more likely to have com- comorbid conditions, and that's gonna impact their outcome, their tolerability of medication. So, all of those things need to be considered when you're seeing a patient. Um, uh, a patient of color, or another patient, you need to understand what is uh, the family dynamic. If I am to give this patient um, treatment, is there anything at home? Um, are they more likely to um, miss a visit? And it's not necessarily because they don't want to come, but there are other things. They may have two or three, four or five jobs in order to make things happen, don't have the support for family members. So, all of these things you have to take into consideration. Um, when you're treating patients, especially in the underserved community. And it takes all stakeholders to be involved the primary care, policymakers, government, pharmaceutical family, and community, of course, the practitioners, and, and then even the patients um, need to have some responsibility there uh, in knowing uh, that health is important and having uh, to prioritize uh, their, their, their care especially for conditions that are easily curable, diabetes diabetes and and food and weight gain, hypertension, taking your medication, exercise, all of those does impact health, do impact cancer care, do impact your ability to, to have better outcomes and tolerability of medication.
0: Dr. Manmi Alawalia, Chief of Solid Tumor Medical Oncology, WD Director, and Chief Scientific Officer at Miami Cancer Institute, next discusses the launch of his organization's Center for Equity in Cancer Care and Research and their primary goals for improving enrollment of minority patients within clinical trials and increasing access and uptake to genomic testing. I
2: joined Miami Cancer Institute in 2021, uh, and one of our big initiatives is been to launch the Center for Equity in Cancer Care and Research. Uh, As we all are aware, there have been massive strides in improvement for cancer care in the United States in the last four decades or so. However, we do also know that the patients who are of minority origin, primarily the African Americans and the Hispanics, lag behind in terms of improvements of cancer outcomes for them. As a result, the Center for Equity in Cancer Care and Research primary emphasis is to mitigate these disparities that exist in these minority groups compared to the Caucasian population. Miami Cancer Institute serves uh, over 9,000 new patients every year at our center, and over 60% of patients that we see are Hispanic in origin, and 5% are an African American in origin. So a key initiative of our program is to make sure that we have appropriate cancer screenings for these patients, we have appropriate cancer care, but also that we have appropriate enrollment to clinical trials of these minorities, which is a key emphasis of our program. Uh, despite all the advances in cancer care through United States, there is significant disparity in care of patients who are minority in origin uh, for example if you look at clinical trials that lead to fda approval of drugs in oncology only 3 to 4% of those patients are african american in origin and only 3 to 4% of those patients are hispanic in origin whereas you look at the united states population 20% of the united states population is hispanic in origin and 13 to 14% is african american So when you add these two, African-Americans and Hispanics, although they constitute one third of U.S. population, only five to six percent of these patients are enrolled on clinical trials. So a major emphasis of our program is to bolster the minority enrollment in clinical trials. And as a primarily Hispanic-serving institution, we have a major focus in building the trust And we are doing that through our partners in the community. We have launched several initiatives where we are taking advantage of community healthcare workers. And we are working closely with Health Council of South Florida to partner, to increase the minority enrollment to clinical trials and bridge this gap of minorities in trials that lead to FDA approval of drugs, which is a major emphasis for the White House the National Institutes of Health, National Cancer Institute, and the FDA. And Miami Cancer Institute is bolstering this initiative with our efforts at, uh, in South Florida. And to this, we have been lucky to a generous donation from one of our uh, philanthropic partners who have given us $2 million to organize and operationalize this center which will be key to driving these efforts locally and then partnering with people nationally. Uh, so as we are all aware, that there have been tremendous strides in cancer care, but those are there are still disparities that exist between different groups. For example, if you look at genomic testing, which is a big emphasis of cancer care these days, when a patient with cancer comes, he or she needs to, be tested for genetic changes that may have driven their cancer, which helps us pick the right therapies, often targeted therapies, which are designer drugs, which go and target the pathway that is driving someone's cancer, or pick the right immunotherapy to give to those patients. What we have found out is that patients of minority origin typically undergo less genetic testing compared to the white Caucasian patients. Hence, our center has partnered up with Caris Life Sciences and uh, every patient who is seen at Miami Cancer Institute is offered a genetic testing of their tumor. And then depending on what the report shows, they are then offered either the best standard of care treatment using targeted therapies or immunotherapies or offered a clinical trial that is open at our place. The emphasis is to bridge this gap of the minority in cancer care compared to the rest of the community. Also, we do know that social determinants of health play a big role in outcomes of the patients. And for that regard, we are working with community health care workers launching cancer screening programs to make sure that everyone has access to the best screening possible, but also everyone has access to best cancer care if they are diagnosed with cancer. And this also includes access to clinical trials for of our, all of our patients.
0: As the incoming medical director at Thyme Care, Dr. Sam Malangi, an oncology fellow at Memorial sloan Kettering Cancer Center, lastly speaks on the growing shift from fee-for-service to value-based care payment systems and oncology, and what role population health strategies can have in advancing equitable cancer care.
3: Practices are increasingly making the move from fee for service to value based care and with good reason. Um, there are a lot of tailwinds that are orienting them in this direction, almost all of which are related to the fact that healthcare spend is increasingly taking up a greater portion of every dollar spent in this economy. But that being said, transitioning to value based care is a huge operational lift for practices. Even short of participating in fully capitated payments, taking on risk sharing agreements with insurers represents a complete paradigm shift. Part of the problem is that practices, and this is not unique to cancer, but it's certainly true in cancer, are not equipped with the right technology tools to pursue population health, nor do they have adequate staffing to address concerns that are unearthed through systematic surveys and the like. Um, So let me elaborate on the tech piece first. Oncologists today, no matter the EMR that they use, could not tell you basic things like, what is the size of their panel? How many patients are on active treatment? How many patients are past first-line therapy in the metastatic setting? Um, no EMR is systematic systematically calculating things like frailty scores or palliative performance scales that can inform the need for advanced care planning or palliative care consults, for example. If patients are admitted or seen in the emergency room at a local hospital, oncologists are often only aware of this if they have a good but informal relationship with that hospital's case manager, or if the patient or family directly informs them. And that is the state of affairs today. It's very difficult to pursue population health without a bird's eye view of your population. And I think the staffing piece is equally important. So... Effective value-based care and population health requires that oncologists regularly check in on how their patients are doing from a symptom standpoint, especially if they're on active treatment. You've heard of electronic patient reported outcomes that is becoming more and more the norm. For example, CMS's upcoming enhancing oncology model requires that practices have a system in place to periodically and regularly collect EPROs from their patients. It's also important to unearth social determinants of health because that plays a huge role in how patients are are doing and and how they're um, being able to stay on treatment. Um, But addressing the issues that can arise through these periodic assessments sometimes requires additional staffing. And while larger clinics can and may be able to accommodate and just absorb these new responsibilities into their existing staffing structure, it is harder for smaller or rural clinics to do so. And, and with these new requirements, I would say that can perpetuate health inequities. Um, Timecare attempts to solve for both. So its tech platform allows for intelligent triaging of patient acuity, Um, It has an electronic patient reported outcome platform that performs battery assessments of symptoms and um, obtains information about social determinants of health. Um, And the way the care model is set up is that there are systematic assessments of patient functioning. All of this is supported by teams of navigators and nurses and supervised by a medical director who are fully remote and who are centralized. I would say that the combination of the tech and the staffing that time care is able to provide represent capabilities that are just too expensive or onerous for any one clinic to replicate on their own. And honestly, there's no need. Um, When there are solutions like this in the marketplace, um, I think practices should partner rather than trying to reinvent the wheel. Timecare's whole person approach to care navigation takes into account the important role that social determinants of health have in, um, and, and play a role in, in a patient's life that can impact their access to high quality care, their ability to pay for care, et cetera. Factors like their geographic location, social, financial circumstances, race, ethnicity, all can have a tremendous impact on a patient's ability to receive high quality care and treatment. Um, One example that comes to mind was a study that I read that actually came out of my training institution, uh, Memorial Sloan Caring, led by my colleague and friend Bobby Daly that showed that a well-designed remote monitoring program led to a near 50% reduction in the risk for inpatient admission or emergency department visit. But the catch is that you had to have a smartphone and not everyone has access to a smartphone or high-speed internet. and that's just like one example of many about how social determinants of health can um, have an impact on patient care. So I would say TimeCare does a few things that are enabled by its unique tech platform. So one, through systematic processes that undergird enrollment and onboarding, TimeCare's navigators are able to prospectively identify patients um, who have a health-related social need rather than react to needs that can arise over the course of treatment, which as... Everyone in this audience knows can manifest in a drop in medication adherence, missed clinic visits, reduced time on treatment, increased acute care utilization and and increased mortality. Um, Time care also leverages electronic patient reported outcomes to periodically check in on patients. And those can be customized and are customized to a patient's journey and where they are on it. Um, So it's not the same assessments for say, folks who are on adjuvant therapy versus who are on, therapy with palliative intent or who are on survivorship. Um, It also leverages both regional and national resources for example, resources on community-based organizations or grant assistance programs or copay assistance programs, all of which are pulled in directly onto its tech platform so that care navigators don't even have to leave it to find resources that they might want to connect patients to, resources about transportation, food insecurity, everything that are, that are currently available.
0: About this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.